Well, today I wanted to share a message with you I've called the in-between. Um, the in-between is, is those places in life where you're in-between. You, you were here and you're not yet there, and you're just in between. Uh, we're there right now being in between Christmas and New Year's. You know, as a kid, I'll admit, I loved the in-between days between Christmas and New Year's. You know, you kind of you kind of lose track of what day of the week it is, and um, everything is just, you know, school vacation and, and time off, and, and maybe you're doing a little traveling. And, you know, as a kid, it was just always this kind of sense of wonder of just, um, you know, school was like somewhere off on the horizon. It wasn't here yet, and you were just in this exciting in-between place. And and it follows me even into adulthood. You know, have some days off from, from work, some downtime. You still get a little foggy on exactly what date's on the calendar. And you kind of come to those places where you feel the kind of all done with the current year. And I know we definitely feel that this year in 2020 of just being like, okay, ready to pack this one up, put it on the shelf, and let's move to the next year, open up a new calendar, and um, start filling in some boxes in that new calendar year. And so there's always that feeling in those in-between times where it's the sense of, of all done, I've, I've moved out of one thing, and then there's that nervous anticipation looking forward to what's coming next. And um, it's that place of, of re- remembering, though, that we really truly only live life 24 hours at a time. We live life one day at a time, and we can't, we can't make tomorrow come any quicker than it does moving moment to moment through the day. And so it's in these in-between places in life that we find it's the, the now and not yet, that anticipation of what's coming next. You know, the, the word has been given, but yet we haven't experienced the event yet. Think about it this way, how every time we make a plan, maybe it's a plan with a person, maybe it's just a plan with ourselves. of this is what my schedule is going to be, this is what I'm going to do. We've made, we've made a commitment from our present self for our future self of what we'll be doing and where we'll be or what we'll be engaged in, but yet we're not there yet. And maybe sometimes it's just a plan that was made in the morning that's for the afternoon. Sometimes it's a plan that's a schedule put on our, our um, calendar for next week or next month, or maybe it's those, those bigger places of in-between where we realize like there's this excitement and longing for a future event that we have still some time to get there um, before we arrive there. Think about it like with a, with a couple in their in, engagement. You know, when a couple agrees to be married, their word has been given to one another that we will marry each other. And then they, they set a date. This is the date that we're going to be married. And yet that date, they have to wait for it to arrive. And along the way, there's work, there's planning, there's anticipation, there's excitement, there's nervousness, there's stress. And all of that fills that space between when the word was given, the promise, the commitment was given, and then the fulfillment of that with actions, with deed, with stepping forward and, and making good on the promises that have been made. You know, we just come through the Christmas season, and one of the things we see um, was the same experience of this in-between space for Mary. Mary was given the word of, from an angel, the prophecy from God that you will be with child. You will give birth to a, a baby, name him Jesus. And yet what happened? She wasn't immediately giving birth to that baby. There was still a nine months of pregnancy, this in-between time, this place of 
of hearing the word of God, of receiving the word of God, and then recognizing that there's still a, a journey to walk, a, a road to walk, a, a baby to grow in a womb, and then to have that moment of delivery, of, of, of being able to hold the Christ child. And so in those in-between spaces, God was still at work. God was doing something. We see it even in the, in the valley between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, how on Good Friday, Christ Jesus is crucified, his body is laid in the tomb, and yet there's that longing, that waiting for Easter Sunday morning when the resurrection has occurred and happened, and then there's the, this excitement, the fulfillment of Christ Jesus resurrected. Now, what happens here is the waiting and the anticipation in, in truth is not really inherently good or bad. It's actually all about our perspective on these unknown kind of valley places. One mountaintop here, the next mountaintop over there, but you got to go through the valley to get there. And, and it's in that in between those valley places that cause us to, to recognize that our perspective has to be a God perspective. We think about it even for us as Christ followers that we live in the greatest in-between time that we could ever know in life. The already and not yet of knowing that our Savior, Christ Jesus, has come once. He came as a baby. He walked this earth. He died. He was resurrected. But there was a promise given of a second coming of Christ Jesus, this, this ultimate redemption that would happen of the, of the whole world. And so we rest in this place of this longing for the second coming of Christ Jesus. It's part of the remembrance that we had during the season of Advent of, of knowing that Christ Jesus, you came, you came as a baby and you will be coming again. And so then we rest in this valley place between those two mountaintops waiting for the coming of Christ Jesus. You know, this, this tension and release is, is really where, this is where life is lived. We live in the in-between times. You think about it for um, not just as believers, as Christ followers, but just in our day-to-day lives. We live in the in-between moments. That's where life is happening. And, and so in all of it, we have to come to a place of saying, God, in the in the in-between places, in, the, in those middle spaces of life, what lessons are you speaking to me? What am, I, what am I learning here and what is it doing in my life? And so today I want to walk through uh, another section of scripture related to the, the Christmas story and then see how that applies to us in these in-between moments of life. Look with me again um, to the story of Jesus. This is Jesus' birth in um, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew describes it this way, picking it up in, in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. He writes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. 
Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Again, all of this we know is a lie. It's all pretense to be able to get more information. But in verse number nine, here's what happens. The After this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This scene from Matthew 2, as it unfolds, is what we call in the church calendar epiphany. It's, it's the time when the Christ child has been born and the, the magi, the wise men, come and present their gifts to the baby. And as it's observed in the church calendar on January 6th, it's, it's observed in, in many different cultures in different ways, sometimes called Three Kings Day, sometimes observed as Little Christmas. And it's a time of feasting and celebrating. It's a time of a once again saying the Christ child is with us and let's celebrate and and present gifts as a celebration that Christ Jesus is with us. And as we read the scriptures, one of the things we recognize is as we watch this moment unfold in the gospels, it's very easy for us to lose sight of some of the nuance that's happening here, some of the depth of what's happening in between the verses of scripture. If we pause and we think about it, like we can quickly read through these verses in just a few minutes and, and kind of take in the whole story of what's happening here. But when we pause and we really put it in its context, we start to see something um, so deep that's happening uh, for for all of these people involved in the Jesus story. First, you know, you have the Magi that are arriving to visit Jesus after great travel. You know, they've read the prophecies of the coming Messiah They have um, seen in the natural world the declaring of the coming of the Messiah too with the star. And so in this way, like they've seen like with great expectancy, something that was happening that was unfolding, but yet their journey would not have been quick. Their journey would not have even been simple. So with great passion and commitment and curiosity, they set out on this great journey and they travel a significant distance to see this child that's been born, the, 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 the new king of the Jews, as the scripture calls it. And so they, they're in this place where they, like, they count the costs and they say, okay, we're in. And you think about it in the ancient world, to make a trip like this is to take a great risk for your very life. You know, it's a risk from you know, natural disasters occurring while you're on your journey. You're at risk of exposure as you're out in the elements and you're traveling across great distances, maybe without shelter or safety. Um, You may encounter harmful people or even illness that's going to affect your travels or may even um, put you in a perilous place or um, put you at death's door. And so to make a trip like this, to travel, like we can see that the, the Magi, these wise men are in a place of saying, 
This is so significant and so important that's occurring here. We have to go. We have to see. We have to remember, too, that while we think of the Magi as the three kings, because there's three gifts that are named, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, um, most likely they were traveling as a caravan of people. Um, These would have been men that were fairly wealthy, and they wouldn't have been traveling alone. They would have had um, a, a caravan of people traveling with them. And so we think about this, like here is this traveling group moving from the east to find the Christ child. And and this travel, like this, just all around, it was a big deal that was happening here. And we think of it like Jesus had been born. He, the, Jesus was already on this earth. God in the form of a human was here on this earth, breathing the air that we breathe. And, you know, this is the manifestation of God in human form. And the majority of the world had missed it. The majority of the world didn't even recognize what was unfolding, what was transpiring. And so we see here the, the special significance of seeing the Magi reading the, the prophecies and then reading the skies, the natural world, and moving in curiosity in response to what they're seeing. And this cav- traveler um, caravan of travelers is, is moving across the countryside to move to a place to recognize and step into what was the unknown to experience something that God was doing in the world. They were compelled to see the face of this newborn king of the Jews. But even with that, like we're not done there because again, we can read through these scriptures fairly quickly and and just kind of take it take it at surface value or we can look a little deeper and realize that, you know, when they show up, they tell Mary and Joseph who they are, why they're there. They leave their gifts, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, and then, and then they depart. They, they start to head home. But at that moment, God starts doing something really amazing because again, Herod had set out, King Herod had set out to, to kill all of the children who were, all the boys who were under two years old because of what the Magi had reported to him. And so God comes to Joseph in a dream and, and, and stirs him in his sleep and says, you need to leave, you need to flee to protect the Christ child. Now this time, as opposed to the first time that an angel appears to to Joseph and tells him about the coming of Christ Jesus, Joseph doesn't hesitate. He doesn't question. There's no, there's nothing like, it's like he has already learned his lesson there and they pick up and they flee for Egypt and they become exiles. They're refugees. They're, They're living in a land that's not their own and they're living there until it's safe to return back to home. And even if you look in the, in the scriptures, even at the point that King Herod dies and Joseph and his family say, okay, it's safe to return back home. They can't go back to their actual homelands. They have to find a place to settle in Nazareth where it's, it's enough away and it's enough off the beaten path that they can live there in safety um, because now Herod's son has taken the throne and there's still risk. There's risk of death, um, risk of, of being found out and, and Christ Jesus um, being sought out or trying to attempt to put him to death. And so they end up not living in their homelands, but they live in Nazareth. But again, it's a place of fulfilling Old Testament scriptures through their actions, through their behaviors. And so as we see all of this, we see that there's so much uncertainty that exists in the Jesus story. God is superintending all of it. God is working in all of it. And yet the people who are living in it are living in it in their lives day to day, just like you and I do. 
We're, they're living without the, the, the promise of knowing the end of the story from the beginning. They're living in a place of knowing that they have to be faithful to, to what today is. They have to be faithful to what God is, has spoken. And so as they live in the uncertainty of their times, we're realizing that you know there's such an upheaval that they've experienced. Their lives have been completely like taken and, and shaken up and, and moved around. And so in this, uh, you know, whether it's Mary and Joseph, even the Magi, you know, they're living in these in-between spaces where they're experiencing the work of God, but yet they're experiencing it so up close that they can't see the overall total of what God is truly doing in them and through them. And yet all along the way, God is unfolding his plan in their lives and unfolding God's work in the world through them. And so we're in this place where we, we get to experience a similar dynamic in our own hearts and our lives. You know, we have the opportunity to be able to live in, in a space where we know we're going to have those in-between times, not just in-between Christmas and New Year's, but the, the in-between times, so, you know, those in-the-middle kind of places where things are uncertain, where we don't know exactly how it's going to unfold in our, in our circumstance, in our, in our family, in our job, in, in the world. Um, we, we live with a certain degree of uncertainty. And so in that, there is such a great opportunity to see God at work. And so what I want to do with the remainder of our time this morning is look at some key points that we can learn from being in these in-between places. You know, lessons that kind of get lear- learned in the middle of one thing and then the next, the, the now and not yet places where we can learn about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, even in the the unknown and the uncertainty. And so if you're taking notes, write these down this morning, and we're going to use the story that we've just read to to pull some lessons out and and then a few other places in scripture. But number one, one of the things that we can learn in the in-between is that the in-between space is a testing ground. It's a testing ground. You know, when we venture into these unknown spaces of life with God, we'll most definitely are going, we're most definitely we're going to experience and discover places within our own lives and our inner world that need to be healed, that need to be surrendered, things that maybe we wouldn't have to confront and deal with in any other way unless we were willing to to deal with it with God in the in-between places. You know, author Rick Hawker explains. The, the, this kind of journey and this illustration this way. This inward journey is like diving into a well, but the well is full of debris. When we encounter debris, we lay hold of it, we bring it to the surface, and we deal with it courageously. Otherwise, it will block our way. We find God by peeling away ourselves. God is the hidden treasure, referring to Matthew thirteen forty four, buried in the center of our souls. And we can find God when we tear away the onion skin layers of self. I mean, what a poetic vision of the journey of transformation with God. And, and the truth is, I've found this to be so true in, in my own life that I've experienced it. I mean, for the longest time, I thought of myself as, you know, a fairly healthy, you know, balanced Christian. I, I grew up in a, in a Christian family, in a, in a church, and had learned Bible verses, and yet it wasn't until I entered seasons of crisis, of loss, of, of really experiencing challenge in my life, you know, those unknown kind of in-between liminal spaces, that I began to realize how much my inner world was 
was just out of balance, how much I needed healing and freedom from God. And so, you know, there, there are places where we see that in these in-between times, they become a testing ground for us, a proving ground that strengthens our faith. We saw this a few weeks ago during Advent, whenever we looked at the, the story of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and how, you know, he was, he was struck um, unable to speak, unable to hear during the time that um, his wife Elizabeth was pregnant with John. And it wasn't until John was named John that all of a sudden Zachariah got his hearing and his speech back. And it was in the silence that there was transformation that was happening in Zachariah's life. And so even in the verses we read through today, we see that it was God coming to people in, in miraculous and very different ways, but it was those in-between uncertain ways. Even for, for Joseph, you know, God comes to Joseph in a, in a dream. And, and so it's like as the actual reality of world had been shut off because he was asleep, he was able to hear from God. And so when we enter into those places where there may be uncertainty all around us. It's those places that allow us to experience a testing of our faith that gives us strengthening. When, when we're in the places of uncertainty all around us, it's in those places where we become then confronted with our willingness to continue to trust God, to continue to move forward. It's our willingness to choose God's way over our own way. It's in those testing, uncertain times that we start to discover just how faithful God is and how we can lean into God. We can trust God and we can listen. It's almost as though our desperation to see God work and move and speak, to know God in these maybe places of silence and, and places of solitude, in between places, that it starts to reveal the true desires of our heart. And like the author I just quoted, it may mean that we get confronted with some things in our life that, that we don't like very much, things in our life that um, are, are disappointing or maybe we'd even feel ashamed of. And yet in those in-between places, we have an opportunity to, to bring them up to the surface and to deal with them, to, to confront the um, uncomfortable and be willing to do it in the in-between times as we look forward to what God is doing next, to what God has spoken, to what we're longing for being answered in prayer. Look at this that Paul writes in Romans chapter 7. He says, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. He's like, look, I know, like, there's parts of me that are just, that are still um, held bound by sin. And he says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is wrong. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I still get tongue-tied even reading it, but I do it anyway, he says. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the, the one doing wrong. It is the sin that is living within me that does it. And so what he's naming here is the fact that we all have places of, of unsurrendered parts of our life to God. We all have those places where sin is still um, in, within us, within our way of relating. It's in our way of living. And it's the in-between places that give us opportunity to deal with it. It's the in-between times that it's, it's when something else maybe has been taken away or something has changed or it's the, the longing and looking forward that we then come to these places of recognizing our own humanity and recognizing that in these in-between times, God is coming to us, God is speaking to us, and we have an opportunity to deal with it. Or are we going to turn to those 
unhealthy ways of coping. You know, when, when it rears its ugly head, are we going to turn toward God or are we going to turn toward our own desires and our own ways? And so in all of this, we have to remember that the in-between times, they're the testing ground, the proving ground. You know, in Romans chapter seven, a few verses later, Paul ends up saying, he goes, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He reminds himself that, look, even in this wrestling with my sin nature, in the places where, where I really don't want to be, I find the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we have to recognize it and name it for what it is. We have to deal with the things that, that come up in these in-between times, in the, in the testing of our faith, and that in that, these are the things that continue to strengthen us. And so we realize, number one, it's in the in-between is a testing ground, but then number two, in-between gives us new perspectives. So this is kind of in a similar way that, that what happens in the in-between space where there's this, this testing for us, but part of what happens in the testing and the transformation that's happening in us is it's giving us an entirely new perspective. There's a new way of seeing things that we have never experienced any other way. When you think back to the Magi, for example, you know they, they chose to go on the journey to discover this newborn king, but these were men that were wealthy men. They could have sent an emissary with a, with a message and a gift and just called it a day and stayed home and not had to make the journey, but because they chose to set out on this long and risky journey to see the Christ child, they were transformed. Their understanding of God and the world was, was radically different, and it wouldn't have happened any other way. The scriptures say that they were filled with joy. They reveled in the joy of seeing the Christ child. And so because of that, they experienced the tangible love of God that very few had known at that point. They were able to see and perceive the love of God, a God that scripture tells us had previously been unseen, was now seen through Christ Jesus. The anonymous 14th century author of The Cloud of Unknowing conveys this kind of fathomless mystery of God and that God um, can really only be found through God's loving presence by writing these words. God alone is complete and can fulfill our very longing. God's grace restores our souls and teaches us how to comprehend God through love. God is incomprehensible to the intellect. Nobody's mind is powerful enough to grasp who God is. We can only know God by experiencing God's love. In the in-between places, we are invited to know God in a different way. Remember, life is lived in these spaces, in these in-between times. And so in that, we receive this invitation to know God and experience God and perceive God in a different way by experiencing God's love. Author Ruth Haley Barton writes this, with a true invitation, there is no coercion, no forcing, no guilting, no manipulation, just a winsome opportunity, an open-hearted welcome, and the freedom to say yes or no. An invitation means that I really do have a choice, and I just love that. The other thing that is simply wonderful about a good invitation is that it means I am wanted. Those in-between times are a place for us to have a new perspective, and they're an invitation from God. There's an invitation and even a challenge that comes from Jesus to willfully enter into these in-between spaces. 
We talked in the past about Jesus' words, but look at what he says in Luke 19. He's addressing a crowd of people and he says then to the crowd, he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. This Jesus perspective seems so backward to the ways of this world. And yet this is how life is gained in Christ Jesus. It's by surrendering our life. It's by willfully saying, God, I choose your will and your way over my own will and my own way. And in that, it changes our perspective. It changes our understanding. It shows us something completely new and different that we wouldn't have experienced in any other way. And so instead of resisting or, or, or hating the fact that we're in the in-between liminal unknown space, in those spaces, we turn, we look to God and we say, God, transform me, change me. Let this be a testing ground for me. Let me have a new perspective. But then number three, the in-between space creates space for hope to grow. It's an opportunity for hope to grow. This is probably the most important aspect of it all. In these unknown spaces in life, they sometimes can feel like death. And yet we see that Jesus is the author of life and that through his death, new life breaks forward. New life becomes our experience and our reality, but it was through death that we experienced life. And it's evidence in Jesus' life, especially when you come to the very end of his life, is before he's arrested and he's taken to the cross, there's this moment where Jesus is praying. And in Matthew 26, verse 36, the scriptures say, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. In this moment, we see the shocking reality of Jesus coming face to face with what was lying in the road ahead of him, the, the journey toward the cross. He comes to this point of recognizing the suffering that he's going to walk through. And so again, it's this in-between moment for Jesus where he knows what is coming, and yet it's not there just yet. And in this place of, of in-between, there's, there's sorrow, there's lament, there's anguish in his soul. And as it stares him in the face, he, he's stopped by it. You know, he turns to God with the question, does this have to be? Like, is there any other way? Is there any other way, God, that you can accomplish it? Does this have to be? And it's unlikely that Jesus really was entertaining serious doubt in this moment about what is happening. Like he knows the Father's will, but there's this gap that's opened up between what he understood as the Father's will and what in the reality of, of a human, his human life that he perceived as a desirable future. He was in this place of saying, God, you know, if you can let it pass from me, let it pass. He asked if it's at all possible, but ultimately he already knows that it's not possible. And he 
despite his own human resistance to the cross, is willing to take those steps that are literally steps that lead to death, knowing that life lies beyond that. And that's part of what happens in these in-between places, as, as it feels as though death sets in, as it feels like loss has occurred, as we lament and as we sorrow, we realize that there is a, a hope that then begins to spring forward, a, a hope begins to rise up inside of us. Theologian and author Dallas Willard writes, Unfortunately, our natural instinct is to try to fix pain, to control it, or even foolishly try to understand it. The ego insists on understanding. That's why Jesus praises a certain quality even more than love. He calls it faith. It is the ability to stand in liminal space, to stand on the threshold, to hold the contraries, the opposites, to be able to hold those until we are moved by grace to a much deeper level in a much larger frame where our private pain is not center stage, but a mystery shared with every act of bloodshed and every tear wept since the beginning of time. We recognize our pain is not just our own. That happens in these in-between spaces. Part of what happens is we realize that sooner or later, life is going to lead us into a space, into a place that we can't fix. We can't control. We can't explain it. Or maybe we, we just can't even understand it. And that is where transformation most easily happens. It's because there we are in God's hands. We're not, we're not self-managing. We're not turning to the coping mechanisms that we've picked up along the way. We're surrendering to God's will in these in-between places. And we're saying, God, let the testing that happens here prove the strength of my faith. Let it, let it strengthen me. Let it be something that causes hope to rise up. And we see with Jesus in these final moments of his life, he, it has to be like one of the most pivotal moments when Jesus steps forward and, and surrenders to the cross and he, he willingly gives his life. And then that great gap opens up between Good Friday and Easter Sunday and the longing sets in where Jesus breathes his last breath and, and his followers are, are waiting and longing for him to draw his first breath of resurrection on Easter Sunday and, and, and not knowing what is going to happen. I mean, think of it in, in parallels to our own lives where it feels as though something has died and we don't, we don't know what's coming next and we're in those in-between spaces and we're just waiting and we're longing. Devastation and heartache sets in. You know, it's this place of just waiting, um, knowing that, you know, something has to be coming. When we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we realize that there was a literal death that occurred and it was an excruciating, excruciating loss, this, this unknown. And his followers probably had to be asking themselves, if Jesus is not who he said he was, then this is all over. But then this is where hope begins to rise because there were no more options. There's no plan B. That's, there's no, well, I guess we just do something else. God's miraculous power had to be displayed because there was no other way forward. And so we see in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the hope that occurs there, that, that God's full power, God's full majesty, his plan is put on display and we were never the same because of it. So it's the same for us in our lives with our, our in-between moments. 
they're charged with this hope, this longing of seeing that when we come to the end of our rope, we're at a place of saying, God, when you move here, God, when you work, when, when the miraculous occurs, when the answer happens, when I begin moving forward, I know that it's because of you and you alone. I know, God, that it's your miraculous power on display at work. And we remember that God is continually working in these in-between spaces to change our perspective. Isaiah 55 says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's this this explanation that we see in um, Scripture of reminding us that God's ways are much higher than ours, that God is at work. And so then we come to the place of saying, God, we will trust in you. God, we will look to you and we will remember that we're not, we're not resting on our own abilities. When we find ourselves in those in-between spaces, it's not just us trying to continue forward by our own best efforts, but remembering that the Holy Spirit is working in us, remembering that God is with us. Emmanuel Emmanuel is with us. And so, as Isaiah 55 says, there's this place of coming to a humility under God's will and God's work and trusting God. I know that even though I'm in this valley place, even though I'm in the in-between space, you are there, that your ways are higher. Yes, you're, you're higher than the heavens, but that I can trust in you. Ecclesiastes 3, and I want to end the sermon here with this wonderful verse of scripture. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11 says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And just in that same way, we rest in the in-between, remembering that Emmanuel came near. God came near. God made himself one of us. He experienced the pain, the suffering of this life. And then Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection gives us hope. And the Holy Spirit is with us daily, reminding us that we are held and we are sustained by the Spirit of God. And so today, regardless of where you are, we end 2020, we look to 2021, and we pray, God, come quickly. God, continue to work, continue to move. Those things that we've been carrying with us, we know we carry into the new year, but we can do so with a new perspective. We can do so with with hope rising in our hearts as we're in those in-between spaces, trusting God, you are at work. And so I'm going to fix my eyes on you, and I'm going to trust in you today. Let's pray together now. God, we remember that you are faithful. We remember, God, that you are Lord over all. We've seen that through the Advent season and and through Christmas that you were God, Emmanuel, God with us. And in those moments where we pray to you with longing in our hearts, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We realize that that's really evidence of being in those in-between spaces, those liminal spaces where we are looking to you and longing for your answers, and maybe they just haven't come yet. And yet you speak to us, giving us a promise of hope. You continue to to tend to us by your Holy Spirit. 
giving us strength for the journey, strength to continue to put one foot in front of the other. And so today, God, I pray for every person watching online with us here at Essence Place that, God, you would speak words of hope. God, that you would tend to hearts that are weary. Lord, that you would remind us that you are our strength. And maybe even in the moments where we, we feel like Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane are our own words. God, just let this pass from me. Let it, let it move on that, God, you would come to us and you would remind us that you are so faithful, that you are strengthening us, you are caring for us. And then in that, God, you are leading us to a place of greater resilience in our faith. God, in all of it, we know that you are so faithful. And so we look to you as the new year starts. We look to you with hope. We look to you with a sense of anticipation to see what you are doing. God, I pray that you continue to care for each person as they watch this sermon, as they head into this final few days of 2020. And in all of it, God, we say yes and amen to you and your will and your way. We pray all of it in the name of Jesus. Amen.